from the corner of Bay and Dundas in downtown Toronto. This is Like Nobody's Business, a podcast of thought leadership and business innovation. I'm your host, Nadine Habib. On today's episode of Like Nobody's Business, we speak to three cannabis experts about what legalization will mean for education, the workplace, and public policy. TRSM instructor Brad Poulos joins us now to discuss education, investing in pot stocks, and the limitations on marketing marijuana. legalization and how it's going to impact universities or education in general? It's going to be several effects in the educational environment. So one is that we're going to have students who are today using an illegal product begin using what's now a legal product. And yes, it'll be illegal to consume it on our property or in our dorms or whatever, but the possession of it will not be illegal and uh, we're going to have to figure out where people are going to smoke it (laughs) because right now the the options are fairly limited. So we as Ryerson are going to have to wrestle with that. Um, The other thing is though, it's a great opportunity. So other schools around the country and in the United States have created programs aimed at cannabis and I'm happy to report that we're working on the same sort of thing here at Ryerson. It's starting in the Chang School, which is where a lot of things of this nature start, but hopefully will ultimately become like a multidisciplinary program for people who are interested in the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And so when it becomes legal, is there going to be certain zones, like smoking zones that, you know, that would be on campus or is that like no public spaces are allowed for people to actually use it? So as of now, that's the rule. As of now, there is no allowed outdoor use of recreational cannabis. Um, If you factor into that equation, the fact that landlords are allowed to um, prohibit the use of cannabis in their facilities, it literally means there are some people that will have nowhere that they can legally consume cannabis, which is one of the arguments for the uh, licensing of, of uh, cannabis lounges and that sort of thing. Some, something similar to a bar where you would be able to go and, and purchase some cannabis and consume it right there. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me a little bit more about the program that you're working on for Ryerson? It's starting as a business of cannabis course and will ultimately expand to be a full certificate and we hope an interdisciplinary certificate. So something where we'll we'll cooperate with the biology department or the chemistry department or somebody like that. So people who who take the certificate will get more than just the business background but a little bit of the um, plant science as well. Mm, Interesting. And maybe we can venture off into investing in marijuana because sure. I know that that's a kind of a hot topic right now. Some you know portfolio managers or people within the industry or TD Bank have said have advised people not to invest in marijuana companies. What's your take on that? So it's a highly speculative investment. Let's be honest. Um, you've got quite a few players chasing an unknown size market. There are billions and billions of dollars that have already been thrown into this industry and we don't know how big it'll be yet. So I think the TD is just doing what banks do, which is being prudent. It's not their job to suggest to their customers that they, you know, risk all of their money. So 
the first thing I would say is that there's absolutely a lot of risk in investing in this space right now. The second thing is, though, I think it's going to be a huge industry. So if you pick the right ones, you could do really, really well. And I think this industry is no different than any other fundamentals are going to rule at the end of the day. So people that can execute, people who know how to create a good brand, people who can con create a, a consistently high quality product, all of those sort of things are going to do well. The other thing as a strategy prof that bothers me is I see the strategies of even some of the larger companies just make absolutely zero sense to me. Mm -hmm. So there's no other industry where people try to own it from I'm going to pull some plant out of the ground all the way to I'm handing it to a consumer and they're going to consume it. So why companies are trying to do that now in this space is beyond me. Now here's a good example. Uh, this company called Tokyo Smoke, which has become Haiku Brands, their strategy makes zero sense to me. They want to be a um, one of the big LPs, limited, sorry, licensed producers. <laughs> uh, Maybe a Freudian slip there, but uh, they want to be one of the licensed producers, and yet they want to own the retail space. Well, that's just crazy. Um, you know, you don't have Seagram's rye or Grey Goose vodka owning the distribution chain. It just doesn't make sense. You focus on what you can do well, and nobody can do all of those things well. Because we have this nascent industry, it seems like a lot of analysts and a lot of pundits, people who comment other than me, are giving these companies a pass and I just won't. I think that their strategy needs to be questioned. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think about the marketing, uh, how, how it's going to be marketed and maybe the standards that are going to have to come along with marketing a product that might have some concerns for younger children? There are already planned fairly restrictive policies around um, packaging, generally promoting your product and that, you know, that would include, you know, advertising and event sponsoring and swag and all of those sorts of things. And a lot of the options that uh, any other company in a different space or even other regulated industries like alcohol and tobacco are not available. So this product is being regulated much more like tobacco than it is, than it than like alcohol and most people in the industry think that's wrong. They think that the government's overstepping. So we're going to have a recreational product, not unlike um, a bottle of vodka, and it's going to have a plain package and the brand or the logo, the word mark of the company will be the same size as the stop sign that has a big cannabis leaf in it. <laughs> So that's the message we're sending. That would be akin to going into the LCBO and wiping out three quarters of the Grey Boot Goose label and making it be white and then putting warnings all over it. Mm -hmm. So that's the regime that we're going to be facing for the next little while. I do think that the rules will get relaxed eventually. Um, but in the meantime, for companies that are trying to break into this industry, it's tough. So a lot of them are using the investment markets actually as a way of generating buzz. Uh, you're probably aware of the fact that uh, Gene Simmons is the chief evangelical officer for one of the cannabis companies. I did see that. So, um, and he's a, he's a big investor. 
um, the Tragically Hip have invested in a company called New Strike, which is up cannabis. And so you're allowed to, you can screen from the top of a mountain who your investors are. And if your investors happen to be famous, then that's a way of potentially creating buzz. And I think it's pretty smart on their part. But it'll be those type of things that you'll have to do. Mm. Um, outreach directly to patients and that sort of thing for the medical industry. Because again, there won't be any display advertising. There will be, even in Ontario, limited advertising inside the stores and none outside. Hmm. And so, you know, we won't be seeing any commercials anytime soon. No. Or, yeah, that's not going to happen. That won't be happening. It's actually yeah. federally illegal. Right, right. At least for the time being. Yeah. And if you think about it, if you're going to deregulate anything, you probably should go slow. <laughs> you should probably you know, deregulate a little, see what happens, and then deregulate a little bit more, as opposed to the alternative, which would be to just throw it wide open and then have to pull things back. That's obviously going to create bad politics and lots of bad blood in the industry and, and actually going to lose a lot of people a lot of money. So I think the approach the government's taking, as much as people in the industry, and I'm one of them, don't like the pace, I understand it. We also spoke with Jessica Nyworth, a marijuana education and youth prevention coordinator in the Colorado state government. She spoke about Colorado's experience with legalization and gave some words of advice to Canada as we proceed with the decriminalization of cannabis. Department of Public Health and Environment and our role is to fulfill the will of the people while protecting and preserving public health. Uh, so pre to post legalization uh, we have a couple of, of jobs in that arena and one of those is to do data and trend tracking which doesn't seem terribly exciting but that honestly is one of the biggest questions that we get is pre to post legalization how is this affecting families uh, how is this affecting young people? How is this affecting our, our communities? Um, and the data is one way that we can track that. And actually what we see is we have steady youth use rates. It has not increased post-legalization. We have steady adult use rates that has not increased post-legalization. Um, so we have steady pregnant women and breastfeeding women use rates pre to post legalization. So we are, are seeing a pretty reassuring trend there um, that legalization is not increasing um, risk among young people, particularly in their use or at risk populations. Um, something else that we are often asked is what are the health effects of marijuana? Um, what are the positive health effects and what are the negative health effects? And there's not a terrible amount of research after 100 years of prohibition. There is a definite lack of research when you compare it to tobacco or alcohol. Um, but what we do know is we put together a group of professionals, healthcare professionals and prevention specialists to review all of the literature out there about marijuana, um, weigh it against each other and come up with public health statements. So we do know quite a bit about the health effects of marijuana. Um, and all of our messaging and prevention education and intervention education has been based off of those health effects statements. So, um, you know, what are the, the population-based health effects we've seen in Colorado? Uh, we see 
um, a couple different things about hospital increased hospitalization rates from particularly tourists or novice users who are unfamiliar with the product and how much they can use and how it's going to affect them. Um, we also haven't seen we have seen an increase in um, uh, traffic collisions and fatalities. An increase. <clears throat> an increase. And so, you know, there's. Uh, we do know that marijuana increases your risk of having a car crash, um, even though the, mis the conception is that you're a safer driver because you're so much slower and more conscious, um, but actually the data shows us otherwise. Um, you know, but the caveat to that is, you know, we have definitely changed our recording and reporting of how we are even testing for marijuana, and that's something that you would see post-legalization is an increase in um, every system measuring and monitoring where cannabis shows up in the population in any segment pre to post legalization, which makes it really difficult actually to compare uh, pre to post legalization because most places pre legalization don't do a great job of tracking or studying or understanding some of the nuances that we we do see post-legalization. And maybe what does legalization look like? I mean, when it happened in Colorado, was it night and day? Was it a dramatic change where people, you know, all of a sudden felt like freed? And, you know, what was what, what did it look like? What did society look like after that? Sure. So immediately before and after legalization, and to this day, we have very strong advocates and very strong opponents. Um, there will definitely be personal and professional ideologies on both sides that will not go away. Um, so pre-legalization, so we voted to legalize um, marijuana, um, which is different from marijuana and hemp, so we actually don't call it cannabis. Uh, but we, we voted to legalize marijuana in 2012, and then the first shops opened January 1, 2014. So there's a bit of time for um, our society to adapt and to figure out what this means for dispensaries um, and grow houses to get established and for us to figure out what the regulation looked like. Post-legalization felt like the Wild West for a while and uh, figuring out what are the best policies, what is the best way to respond um, as a community, as local government, as state government, as nonprofits, as um, you know, advocates or opponents of this issue with no guide, guide map, with no roadmap, uh, was pr pretty difficult. So what I do is I work with other states, other provinces, uh, to help them figure out what are our lessons learned, um, what did we do well? What are some strengths? And what are some things we wish we had done differently? And how can you learn from some of those things? And so what do you think, what's one piece of advice you would give to Toronto or Canada when, as we head into legalization? Yeah, so I would say one piece of advice would be, while there is not a lot of research in the best policies for marijuana or for cannabis, um, there is 50 odd years of research into tobacco and alcohol. Uh, that tells us 
what are best regulatory policies? How do we reduce youth access and exposure uh, to cannabis? Um, many of those policies can be used in this sense. There is a deep well of public health knowledge to preserve public health while mitigating some of those negative effects of legalization while still making sure that cannabis legalization is, um, is something that it, it's going to happen um, regardless of how you feel about it. So how then do you respond and how then do you make sure that you're protecting folks? And so our, our job at the public health department has been, and one, something that I recommend to everyone is stick to the science. Our last expert is the CEO and president of cannabis company, TerraSend. Michael Nishat spoke to us about how cannabis legalization is going to impact the workplace and medical marijuana users. Um, I think that the legalization will definitely bring changes in the workplace. When you look at alcohol, for example, there are special rules and special policies that workplace has on the use of alcohol in the workplace settings. What we'll probably see is I believe is a removal or an addition of the for the word alcohol and add the word cannabis is that we will should be treated like alcohol. People who show up to work should not be using cannabis recreationally. It's something that has to be done after work during leisure time. Um, people who drink alcohol can get drunk. People who smoke cannabis or use cannabis through an edible can get high. I think that's going to be uh, a little bit of the same message going forward as it goes forward through legalization. Uh, the fear that I have is uh, the medical component associated with it, is that there are patients who take cannabis for medical reasons. And if I look at other medications that patients could potentially take, like opioids, Oxycontin, um, different uh, therapies that are there that might have the drowsiness associated with it, employers don't necessarily walk around asking employees, hey, what's in that medicine bottle over there? What do you have over there? So we need to make sure that there is a protection that's granted to the medical patients where they're not discriminated against and there is rules in place to address that but we also make sure that the recreational cannabis in the workplace is addressed somewhere similar somewhat similarly to alcohol and how it's being treated in the workplace and do you find that corporations now are starting to look at legalization how it's going to affect their own employees or how they're going to introduce it into their workplace in terms of christmas parties or you know even after work Absolutely. I think that uh, even as a company ourselves, we have to kind of weigh that responsibility because we have, uh, there's legal responsibilities, there's uh, risk management issues that we have to address. And we've actually dealt with the Mississauga Board of Trade, which we're, we're located to address a lot of these things associated with uh, workplace policies associated. Employers are going to have to update their policies and how they deal with these things. Some of them are already are. Some of them are probably not looking at it as closely as they should have and they'll have to address with it. It's important to make sure that we are in a position where we're not going to be reactive. We want to be proactive about this so there are no surprises and from an employer perspective, re reduce your risk mitigation as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if you, can we talk a little bit about the difference between smoking cannabis and edibles and sometimes the, the challenges and risks that's going to happen um, with those two differences? Absolutely. So uh, smoking smoking and edibles are very different experiences for uh, clients associated from the recreational perspective and the medical perspective. Um, on the medical perspective, it's important to say that when people choose to smoke or smoke to, to choose to vape, 
the reason why they're doing that is because they have a symptoms that need to be addressed right away. So smoking or vaping has an onset that could be as short as 10 to 15 seconds. So if you haven't, so some people use cannabis for anxiety, some people use cannabis for migraines. Edibles start working in an hour. You don't want to wait an hour when you have one of those conditions. You want to smoke it or vape it associated with it. There's other ways that you can consume cannabis that are not yet legal yet in Canada through product formulations. So we can do meter dose inhalers, nebulizers. All these are potential future dosage forms that could potentially come into the market. But a patient would actually prefer to use the cannabis if it's for an immediate symptoms through an immediate release mechanism such as smoking or vaping. And other symptoms that might not be as an immediate need would be through an edible or an oral capsule associated with it that potentially can be used. Uh, should point out that edibles are not allowed in Canada as of yet. Patients can make their own edibles if they want. Uh, the regulations have stated that edibles will be allowed within the next year or two, and we look forward to seeing what that looks like because I think that there is a subset of patients and a subset of consumers that will be looking at getting cannabis that way, and it'll be a potentially a safer alternative than uh, vaping or smoking if they don't need that immediate effect. Mm -hmm. It's important as we go forward through legalization that we don't neglect the medical patient. The medical patient has real needs and has a right to use their cannabis for the conditions that they choose or their doctor helps them choose for them. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, talk in place about restricting the use of where people can vape and people can smoke and it's important uh, for us at Terrison to speak up and say that there should be different rules for the medical patients than for uh, patients that are using it recreationally and the reason why I say that is a medical patient is using it for an ailment and forcing a medical patient to say you have to use this at home you can't do this outside if you have kids at home if you have other people at home and you're going to subject them to secondhand smoke that's not necessarily the best thing to do and you don't have to subject every else around you to the medicine that you're using. Uh, recreationally, this is an option and a choice that you're going to have to make. So we need to make sure that we have more options in place for medical patients to be able to consume their medicines and not put the same restrictions on them as everybody else, uh, especially for private to be able to take it from a privacy perspective and uh, uh, going forward. Like Nobody's Business is a presentation of Ryerson University's Ted Rogers School of Management. For more information about TRSM, visit ryerson.ca forward slash Ted Rogers School. Thank you for listening.